Once again, namaste and a warm welcome to this edition of Diversity Dialogue powered by StreamYard in collaboration with Dr. Upinder Kaur. This is your host and moderator Preeti Chaudhary saying namaste once again. With us here today are two stellar people who have done eons of work on two diversity, equity and inclusion and who have very strong views and frameworks and ways and means of making a positive impact. Let's put our hands together and welcome Sumedha Bhakshi and Samir Nakra. More on them in just a bit. But a quick reminder to the audience, this is a conversation and a dialogue. The comment section is open for your questions, queries, comments. Let's talk to each other, get connected with each other, leave your LinkedIn profile links there. Look up Somedha, Rupinder and Samir on LinkedIn, send, up, send them connection requests. Let's get the actual and tangible conversation started that way. So with that, once again, welcome to this edition of Diversity Dialogue. To set the context, let me invite my co-collaborator, Dr. Rupinder Kaur, who will set the things in motion and then we will take it from there. So thank you very much once again. And Rupinder, the floor is yours. Over to you, my dear friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Preeti. And welcome everyone who's joined us today. It is my proud pleasure and privilege to be uh, hosting this with Preeti today. Not, diversity is something that has been around. It's done the rounds for quite some time now. And it's a personal um, passion for me coming from a very diverse background, having seen how inclusion can really foster the way to not only give you a sense of belonging, chase your own identity, but also pursue success in whatever context you're working in. So I think with that fundamental, um, uh, you know, uh, ode to uh, inclusion, let me quickly start by saying that I've heard this quote often, um, you know, uh, defining diversity and inclusion and what it says is that if diversity is being invited to the party inclusion is being asked to dance right now while this definition is memorable right it kind of strikes a chord in you it falls short in telling us really what inclusion looks and feels like yeah uh, and more nuanced descriptions often include elements such as you know, a sense of belonging, um, a trust in the company's or leadership's commitment to diversity, and the feeling of being listened to, heard to, respected, and also valued. Um, I also call it psychological safety. All of these elements combined together may give you a sense of what inclusion feels like and it looks like. Uh, but frankly speaking, inclusion is not a static feeling, right? It's more dynamic in nature. In fact, it's continuously created, recreated, reinforced, undermined uh, through our everyday interactions, our meetings, our conversations, uh, the practices and policies that we follow in organizations, right? And because it is driven by an endless series of actions, I personally would call it a verb than a noun, you know, which is like in a continuous motion. Um, 
to give you a quick reference of a nuanced understanding of inclusion, how can we really measure it, which is also the, uh, the, the topic that we'll be discussing with practitioners in, in the group here. I want to bring a little bit of research element here. And the reason for bringing that research element is because um, research helps us identify the root causes of um, making a meaningful dialogue, right? It brings us evidence to the fore. It also helps us concretize and quantify some of the intangible or some of the not so tangible um, areas, especially in behavioral uh, sciences as we talk about. So. I think the most effective things as far as inclusion is concerned um, are the most effective programs that organizations can design to measure inclusion from a research angle are the ones which spar engagement, um, which establish a sense of pride in participants. And, and they're also built on a very strong philosophy of building inclusive cultures in the firm which basically means that it has to flow from the top. Now, while this, there's nothing new that I'm saying here, but the newness in this whole discussion is, can we put together as researchers and evidence practitioners a framework, a model, or a, so to say, um, you know, a go-to kind of a reference, which we can utilize to measure inclusion? Um, there are multiple uh, researches that have been done. There's a model which has come from BCG. There's another model which I shared in the group today, which is by McKinsey, which measures enterprise perception of inclusion and personal perception of inclusion. Something that has resonated with me as a researcher is something that I want to share with all of you. And it's come through a lot of, um, you know, deep diving into, into this broad area, which is, um, which basically needs to focus on three broad questions. The first one of which as organizational stakeholders to measure inclusion would be, do people feel heard, belonged and empowered? Yeah. So belonging and the autonomy in decision making, uh, which you can broadly categorize as maybe psychological safety if you want to. The second important question to measure inclusion in firms could be, um, do really people believe that the leaders will model the inclusive practices that they are talking about? So do they have the faith in the leaders to not only say the right thing, but do the right thing? So a belief in their managers, in HR and the executive team. And the third and the last one, in the firm being dealt with, yeah? Um, are they being dealt with in a very serious manner? Um, have people witnessed such incidents of non-inclusiveness? Have people heard about it? And if they have, do they have the autonomy, the freedom and the courage to really speak about it so that these incidents are not really repeated? So with these three broad questions, I'm going to leave all of you with this thought that you know, this discussion is the first step in building more inclusive cultures in societies. And I know this dialogue is not only for corporates because uh, inclusion starts much earlier. I'm sure my panelists are going to bring a lot of uh, very positive thoughts around their own experiences around it. But it's a continuum. It's not a static point in time. So till the time, I think um, 
we are okay to accept that the change has started and it will happen incrementally. Uh, we are in a very safe space. And with those um, uh, you know, thoughts of mine, I'll hand this back over to Preeti to take it to our esteemed panelists. Thank you, my dear friend, Rupender. Absolutely fantastic context setting with a lot of data inputs, as usual, from your research background. So thank you for that. And that sort of brings me to the order of the day, which is, first of all, talking about the topic. And broadly speaking, for the next 60 minutes or so, what we will be trying to attempt to talk in detail is something called measuring inclusion the house and the wise. I mean, it wasn't, Rome wasn't built in a day, neither can this topic will uh, be done in one hour, but at least it's a start. So towards that, a very quick one-line introduction of the first panelist that happens to be Samir Nakra. Samir is the founding partner of Helix People System. For the past 17 years, he has been involved in people transformation from very many aspects. So I think he is the right person to start this conversation, to set the legends and the history behind it. And then we will move on to the next panelist. So thank you very much. And uh, Jahan Samir, it is over to you, my thank dear you. friend. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Preeti. I think it's a privilege to be here uh, with you all. A privilege to be here with this audience and most importantly a privilege to be talking about such a topic which has uh, such an impact such a profound impact it can have on us like Rupinda said not just as organizations but as a society uh, why is this topic important in the last 17 years uh, I've seen that well the party has started Rupinda like you said uh, I think these programs started at least uh, in my memory a decade and a half, a little more than that back. Uh, and the results are to show in the numbers that we see now. Well, numbers are a little less at the senior management level. And I think that is something that needs to be addressed. Again, going back to uh, Rupert's point that uh, leadership and culture are intertwined. And somewhere you need greater diversity at the top to change the way we are thinking of our organizations, our values, and the way we are creating and constructing and evolving our organization. So somewhere, uh, a lot of work has been done on diversity. But you know, everyone knows that at a senior management level, there is still a lot of work to be done. Uh, but that really doesn't, uh, and we would have all read uh, research reports, that doesn't really uh, lead to automatic inclusion and inclusion is about who we are it is the way we think it is who we bring to work it is the way we think it's our own growing up years and the biases that we grow up with the biases that we pick up from social media the biases that we pick up from the narratives of our best friends uh, which we just absorb unfiltered uh, which sometimes builds these little walls so the party started we've opened the door uh, we are improving on our ratios, which is absolutely the right thing to do because those ratios help us build a better organization and better society. But have we broken the walls in our minds? And that's an important question because those walls, uh, you know, bring in that real inclusivity, that sense of equality, the, the sense of transparency, the sense of respect, 
the sense of you are important to me and I will actually listen to you and your point of view is important to me irrespective of gender, race, caste, class, etc., etc., etc. Why is it important? Because, well, it impacts certainly strategy. There are reams and reams of reports on that, but it impacts the organizational climate. People come to work for 10 hours, 15 hours, 12 hours in a day. Uh, what kind of a climate are we giving them? Are they happy coming to work or are we just creating stress and more problems uh, as an organization? Uh, and then it spills over into the society that we build. And I think that is more important. What kind of a person do I take back with me home? And hence, how do I build that culture? What are what is the next generation seeing? What are my children seeing? Are they, they themselves learning uh, better, greater uh, inclusion? Uh, so I think the first part is that inclusion is really it's going to define who we are, uh, the society that we build, and hence the kind of nation, the kind of organizations that we build. Uh, maybe I sound like a patriot, but I am. Uh, and hence, I think it needs to go to the root and not just stay at a template or a survey or at a data uh, level. Uh, the other uh, thing is evaluation. And I think for evaluation, you first need some kind of a goalpost or development. Uh, I'm a firm believer that at the highest level, leadership drives culture. They nourish it, they feed it, uh, they trim the plant, they prune the plant. Uh, they are the gardeners, it's their responsibility. Uh, and how are they trimming, pruning, gardening is extremely important. And some of these words like equality, uh, transparency, uh, fairness, bias, actually are very difficult uh, to, to kind of pin down. Uh, and I feel uh, that's what is the responsibility of HRL and DOD professionals to get just these very simple but powerful and, and society-defining, off-defining words uh, into a room with these key leaders who are the architects, who are the gardeners, uh, and reopen them and say, are we really there? Because if we can't look in the mirror, uh, we can talk whatever we want to. And, and there's no harm in that because, you know, we, we carry our, in a sense, our, our sort of personalities into work. But if we don't look at the mirror, we don't really see the truth. So I think a couple of times in a year, it's just to go back into a lab setting, look in the mirror, look at the truth, because the truth helps us build a better organization and a better society. And then comes the whole uh, aspect of evaluation, which I think is a method, it's a process. And within that, we need to see how many layers do we have in the process? If we run a survey with 5,000, 10,000 people, we know the numbers can swing here and there. They'll tell a story, we can form project teams, we can form champions and project groups, go back into the organization, move the needle. But how much has it moved and has it moved at that level where it needs to move? Because that's where the mirror sits. And the mirror is not visible at 30,000 feet. You need to go really deep down, put your ear to the ground in a way which is non-threatening, in a way which is accessible, in a way which is respecting and say, I look at this data for the last two to three years and when I slice and dice it, 
within the ratios, I see that this group always seems to sit outside uh, the data set. Somewhere you're outside the group, you're, you, you're not included something. You seem to be missing some bus somewhere. And I think that starts the whole journey of truly going back and saying, uh, am I really inclusive? Am I really transparent? Am I really unbiased? Have I really uh, broken the walls? Uh, so I will just uh, take a break and uh, I will hand it over to Sumeda uh, for her thoughts on this. Thank you, Samir, for that. And excellent, you know, the points that stand out to me um, as a person are looking inwards to establish who we are in the first place. And then what are we taking to work? And after those eight, nine, ten hours, what or who rather are we taking back home? But then in the last 14 months or so, everything has been turned around topsy-turvy, 360 degrees, whichever way, up on his head. Blurring of lines, there's no more distinction between work, home, whatever we are, we are carrying to work and whatever work is, we are carrying it back home because we are sitting at home and working. So that opens up a whole new Pandora box to this decision, but probably that is for another day. For today, let's welcome our next panelist, who is none other than Sumedha Bakshi. Sumedha is the L&D Strategy and Diversity and Inclusion Leader, Southwest Asia for Samsung Electronics. Sumedha, over to you for your thoughts on the topic today, which is measuring inclusion, the hows and whys of diving deeper into this topic. Thank you. Thank you so much, Preeti. And, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm honored to be here amongst uh, such an esteemed panel. Uh, and I think Samir uh, did a fantastic job in terms of bring, you know, setting down the context. I'm going to build on it and uh, see where that takes us. So we all know the business case for diversity, right? They say if you have diversity, then organizations are diverse organizations help build a culture of innovation and their product supposed to be better. This is what research and a lot of uh, not only research, but there is a lot of evidence around it. Now, if you look at the McKinsey uh, data, there was this research which was recently done. It said that globally organizations are spending close to eight billion dollars on DNI initiatives and efforts. And the same report also highlights that despite sending this kind of a fortune, uh, the needle movement on these efforts is not where they should have been. And I think Samir touched on it very beautifully that where is it? You know, it doesn't matter you're doing and needle is moving, but is it moving in the right direction? And how do we know that it is moving in the right direction? Now, but I think we also have to understand the linkage between diversity and uh, performance, you know, so we like what is diversity diversity is getting people with different preferences personal traits and ways of being into an organization how do we measure it well simple it's a number you know very easy to measure and many a times organizations you know uh, take diversity and inclusion as interchangeable so that's that's the first thing that i think we have to keep in mind now if we talk about diversity, it's easy. You can measure it. But the linkage between 
high performance or you know profits and this diversity is that word called inclusion unless you have inclusion how can the ideas that this diverse talent generates be considered and taken forward to create those uh, you know um, high performing teams and uh, different projects that would take the organization to the next level so inclusion is the secret sauce but why is it that organizations miss on it i'm sure everyone knows what i'm saying I, i'm sure we're not saying anything new but still it goes missing now understanding inclusion and samir again touched on it it is a feeling you know it is uh, it is something that is not easy to measure it's non tangible how do you measure feeling how do you measure happiness it's a little di difficult thing to do right and it lives at different levels in any organization i think the first level is in people so how do i experience inclusion as a person that's the first part of it the second is between people you know how do people how do i give it to others so how do i make others around me experience it and the third one is outside people which is the organization the larger context right what are the processes what are the policies and how does this ecosystem help inclusion move forward and and rupinda spoke about it it's it's not a point in time it's not static it's a continuum and hence the effort you know um add in a new set of people in the organization and you go back to square one you have to again see is is everything okay are we all inclusive and is the health all right now having said that um how do we measure uh inclusion uh, let me take the analogy of uh, medical healthcare so when we go for an annual health checkup typically uh, we would be given a, a a list of you know ailments or medical conditions and the doctor or the medical medical practitioner would say check the ones that you have and don't have and basis that you know he would uh, say okay this is the state of your health similar is the case with inclusion you know if we have to measure it we have to first define what does inclusion look like uh, and not look like and then you know give it out to the people and let them say okay i experienced it i did not experience it so on and so forth and then create the health or inclusion health card for the organization um because everyone is going to experience inclusion very very differently what i might experience and what the other person might experience might not be true but if anyone is not feeling included that is a thing to worry and hence it's a continuum where do you stand and where do you take it forward to how do we measure it uh, broadly speaking uh, the first thing is to get the essence of where does the organization stand what is the organization's uh, scorecard on inclusion and uh, then deep dive so you can do one can do a lot of things uh, you know like traditionally simple stuff good old stuff like uh, you could do surveys a lot of organizations do that you could follow it up with focus groups to deep dive further as and check you know what is it that the people are really saying what do they mean by it and uh, take it forward from there uh, you could also these days leverage uh, the technology because uh, we know with ai machine learning 
there are some phenomenal tools down there uh, that you can pick up which can help you get real time analysis of the people and uh, you know do crisp uh, solutioning right away you don't really have to wait for the year end to throughout the survey to check the employee pulse uh, you know something like clearsight textio these are great tools that you could leverage and take it forward but i think the bigger question uh is measuring is is important because unless you measure you know this it's rightly said right whatever gets measured gets done so from a uh, visual standpoint it is good to see if something is getting uh done the way we intended it to do uh, it to be but i think one thing that i want uh, all of us also to focus on and sami brought it up beautifully is this is bigger than uh, just what the organization can do you know like sami said what do we do in the organization and what do we, do we take it back to the society i'm i'm saying what do we as people uh, do at homes to instill inclusion in ourselves uh, the people around us our kids because this is what comes to the workplace so the onus lies on all of us is what i'm going to pause at and uh, hand it over to you preeti thank you very much for that sumedha and a very important point inclusion starts from home so essentially the values that we are brought up with get translated into workplace inclusion further get translated translated rather into societal inclusion so that is my uh, very important takeaway from right that with this we are at the end of section 1 which means dear audience we have heard everybody's talk and speak we have a lot of food for our thought which means it is now question and answer time and quickly to remind you the comment section is open for your thoughts queries comments and anything else that you would like to put out there with that the question and hour section is open for the first round i am handing the mic over to my dear friend rupinder it is all yours take it forward please thank you um priti i am not able to see the question per se so uh, okay got it so the first question is from captain charanjeet and uh, sumitha would you like to take this one Uh, he says covid has forced more women to leave work uh, has it also weakened the inclusion movement yeah uh, thank you rupinder i i'll take this one uh, so captain uh, lehil um i would say covid has had an impact on uh, the dynamics or, or the number of women at workplace because uh, if you look at it women being the primary caregivers at home and with you know just about everything getting done at home for everyone suddenly the amount of uh, workload that has gone on them has increased multifold so that's the first point and i would say yes it has had an impact uh, now what is important for us to understand is what can be done about it and what has been done as of now around it i think covid has also opened lot of 
uh, new avenues for not only women, I would say people across cities, tier two cities, across uh, age groups to be a part of the workforce, which was never there earlier. Now, even if COVID, uh, not even if, I'm sure the COVID is going to go away one day, but the hybrid working is not going to go. It is here to stay. And what has this done? This has given an opportunity to people, you know, across cities to be a part of the workforce. Coming back to women, can women be a part of workforce given the fact that, you know, they have a, a situation at home, maybe more workload that is preventing them? I would say absolutely. And here again, uh, the onus lies with the women and also the organization and their partners and men in their lives and quickly touching on it. Now, the organizations can look at uh, enabling flexi work uh, options wherever there aren't to help women, uh, you know, get that flexibility and help them be still a part of the workforce. As far as uh, women go, uh, wherever they are, they have to be more assertive a, to talk about their problems to the organization and also to their support group at home. It's very, very important to have a very uh, strong support system at home. So to your husband, to your partner, it's important to say, you know, hey, what? Hey, you know what? You need to pitch in. Now, there's enough and more uh, data. World Economic Forum data says that, uh, and I'm sorry to bring this up, but I will have to, uh, that Indian men just contribute uh, 16 minutes of uh, in household chores uh, and women do close to four hours a day okay if i go to the west the numbers are much more uh, balanced so again the issue lies here you know with all of us and then i'm going back to uh, women uh, sorry to the men uh, now as partners at home as allies at work it's important for you to recognize the issue and support because if the society has to change, if we're talking inclusion, it is not about empowering women. It is about enabling people around women to handle these empowered women. Um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I'm sure it does because uh, these were very practical uh, points that you brought to the table and some, and some really very interesting thought-provoking questions not only to the men, but probably to the women themselves, right? Um, you know, uh, and it, maybe it's also time to, you know, to stop really trying to, as women, trying to be the perfect, you know, professional, the perfect person, housemaker at home, and say it's okay for me to be imperfect, but more importantly, you know, I have to bring the whole thing to a full circle when I can give my best at work and I can be my best at home. If it's a question asking for help, speaking up, so be it. Yeah. So it's kind of a balance that we need to bring in. Thank you so much, Sumedha, um, for answering that question so beautifully. Preeti, over to you for, for the next question, please. It's right up on the screen for you, Rupinder. Okay, super. Thank you. So the next question is from Nabila Moinuddin and uh, he is asking, and Samir, would you like to take this please, that is measuring people's participation in organizational communication slash dialogues 
a good starting point to measure inclusion? Sure. Uh, thank you, uh, Rupinder, and thank you, Nabila, for the question. Uh, I, I have some views on that. Uh, I think it's uh, it's at two or three levels. One is at cultural levels. Uh, do people have those kind of discussions? That's the first thing. For many organizations, just having, op ha having open discussions is a big uh, cultural step up. Uh, but the important uh, question within your question is, are people feeling comfortable enough, uh, feeling they trust the organization and the leadership enough to bring the real, the tough, the elephant in the room question on the table. So I don't think it's so much about just asking questions, but it's really about asking those questions which are bothering the organization, which are bothering the people, which are impacting the customer, which are impacting collaboration and team dynamics. Now, the acid litmus test is if you can't ask those questions, it doesn't matter. You can ask whatever you want to ask in a town hall. It all sounds nice and the town hall ends and you all go back. We all go back to doing our stuff. But asking the difficult questions is the litmus test. Now, second thing is how do the leaders react to that? The first level reaction would be on their face. Has it caught them unawares and are they struggling for words, which says that you don't have the right uh, culture. Uh, but if they listen to you, they dialogue with you on those issues that are really uh, problematic and go back and act on them, not just as a leader, but as a leadership team, because leadership teams together have the power, the force to change culture, not a leader, uh, then probably uh, it's sort of moving in the right direction. Okay, um, so so that's hopefully um, uh, Moinuddin got his answer. That was a pretty comprehensive yet a very incisive, um, you know, deep diving into how can you and where can you really get started. And as Samir rightly said, it always starts at the top. And culture is something which invariably has to be modeled, visioned, and lived day in and day out by the senior leadership. So thanks, Samir, for putting things in context. Um, Preeti, back to you on this note. OK. Thank you so much, Rupinder. An excellent thought so far. Excellent questions coming in from um, the audience. And here is another one. This one is from Aman Zedi. To both of you, and Sumeda, I will come to you first, and then I will go to Samir. So Aman says, the problem with bringing up inclusive kids is that they are seen as having different attitudes from the majority, and they end up being excluded. So what are your thoughts on that, Sumeda? Over to you. Thank you. I think that's an excellent uh, question that Aman has brought up. And uh, there are no two ways of denying it. So if you, uh, if the majority has is, is being raised a certain way and you tell your kids that okay, this is the, I mean, you tell them that this is what needs to be done. And then they grow up seemingly different. Uh, what do they do? Well, I think uh, the, the question is not, uh, can we uh, can we have everyone do it? Someone has to start somewhere. That is what you know. I take away from it. The kids who grow up like this might 
uh, be looked at outliers initially, but they would be also able to do some changes in the society, in their uh, surroundings because of the way that we are. And I think we see that, you know, the, the idea of a catalyst, of a game changer, of a human who is different and is able to influence people around him or her to get changes in the society, in the ways of living, in the ways of being. There are numerous examples and uh, I, I really don't uh, have to pick any single one up uh, really, you know, there are leaders and you really don't have to have a rank to do this. There are people who've been able to pull off phenomenal change uh, just because they had a certain level of uh, uh, authenticity in them. Their thoughts were real and people could relate to it and could see the larger good. And I think that is the uh, intention that one has to go forward with. And I seriously and sincerely believe if you have the right intent at your heart and you know you are committed to your cause, certainly, maybe it would be slow in the beginning, but certainly you would be able to communicate what is the goal. And these kids also, even if they are raised uh, differently and they stand out initially would be able to create many of their own uh, uh, types uh, you know uh, in the society thank you for that Sumedha and I think Samir it is your turn once again a quick reminder of the question here it is onto your screen yeah. the problem with bringing up yeah. inclusive kids is that they are seen as having different attitudes no, and then they get excluded. So over to you, Samir. Thank you. So thank you, uh, Preeti. And thank you, Aman, for that uh, question. It's a pretty deep existential question. And hence, I think it's important. Again, goes to the core that we were discussing. The kind of kids we bring up is the kind of society we build. Uh, <clears throat> so I'll, I'll probably answer that in three parts. The first part is that as parents, we are obviously the most caring the most protective about our kids and the kinds of filters we wear while bringing up our kids are probably the most intense multi-layered filters because we don't want them to uh, you know grow up uh, believing the wrong <clears throat> believing in the wrong principles the wrong values uh, having said that i think the second part that i wanted to say is values impact us the most deeply uh, when we are viewing it from this lens because we are ourselves conflicted uh, you know honesty versus fairness uh, inclusion versus self-centeredness so on so forth and while our heart is in bringing up great citizens uh, they are our children and our, our protective nature uh, probably creates this conflict within us around which are the values that i should really teach my kids uh, now, I think this is not really about the kids. It's really resilience as a parent, uh, self-belief and the belief in our children as a parent. So it's how resilient are we? It's what do we really believe in? It's what's the kind of uh, society, uh, family, uh, community uh, we want to build. And it's a difficult dilemma we need to answer for ourselves. Uh, and in the end, I think... Uh, there is balance in the universe. I know it sounds like some spiritual gospel, but what I mean is, uh, if things were falling apart, we would be in a civil war. Yes, they might be tough, they might be bad, but somewhere things manage to get done. 
and I'm a firm believer, you know, the ratios of these swings in the values could be anywhere in the range of 40, 60, 60, 40 percent, uh, because that sort of retains the balance and we can live with some degree of sanity in our lives. So I would say it's really our resilience uh, as parents that matters more, uh, our, our desire to do the best for our kids, but, you know, retain the belief that, well, somewhere things kind of even out. They are tough, I I'll say, are difficult. We get challenged every day on the values front uh, through what we see every day. And, and yet we need to retain the belief. Okay, thank you so much for that, Tamir. And with that, there is the next question, and that is for Sumida. This is from Gautam. Gautam says, the interpretation of inclusion is subjective. It is owing to a lot of factors for different people, to different people, it means different things. So then what kind of parameters does one get to, down to measuring it, actually? Because it could mean, like you said in your discourse, different things to different people. How do you then get to that crux that actually then measures it for an organization or society? Over to you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think that's a valid point. And, uh, you know, uh, it is it is pretty, uh, I would say, it's like a it's like an ocean. So what do you pick up with? What are those parameters that you would pick up which really make uh, a difference? And I'm going to first pick up the organization because I think uh, that's that's the first thing that we want to attack. So I think you could categorize while there are 101 things that you could look at. Can we categorize them in themes in terms of what would matter to most people in the organization? That that should be the first uh, lens with which you you one could view. How do we measure inclusion? And some of the categories could be things like uh, access and participation. You know, and again, this could this could be the broad theme, and then you could have bullet points under it in terms of as a, as as an employee, do I feel that I I have uh, there is no bias in me uh, getting access to uh, the uh, various forums that are there in the organization, uh, to the leadership, to uh, different, uh, to my manager, so on and so forth. The second thing could focus on skills, usage, and assignment. And you know, again, uh, you know, further uh, divide it into thing, things uh, wherein people. Uh, get to feel a valued and not, uh, uh, you know, uh, they should not feel that there is was any bias. I think we have some technical difficulty. Maybe Samir, if you would like to add to that while Sumedha uh, comes back online, sure. I think that will be a good yeah. All yours, go for it. Sure. Thank you. Sure. Thank, thank you, Preeti. I'll just build on what Sumedha has already shared. Uh, and I'll wear an organizational hat or a lens uh, for that. I think it's a great question. Uh, it's important to know what we are trying to measure to then make sense over time. Uh, and cultures take a little bit of time to build. Uh, and I would say if we are wearing an organizational L&D, HR, OD kind of a lens, then uh, two clear frameworks that every organization has are frameworks that we can use, uh, which is the values and the competency framework. If you go into the values framework, 
you might find things like respect, uh, trust, uh, equal opportunity, or you might find it within the competency framework sitting uh, under leadership or, or managerial quality, etc. Now, a kind of picking that up based on what is the, the larger narrative of the firm is important. If we can identify four to five such behaviors that sit within our values framework or within our competency framework, then we know where we are starting from. What is it that we are measuring? And that the fact that it's a part of my organizational uh, design, my organizational frameworks. Uh, and then comes the whole question of what do my leaders think about this? Because these are nice, big, abstract words sometimes. Uh, so understanding the nature, uh, the meaning of those words, what do they mean in terms of behaviors, and then putting up a, a, a method, a mechanism to develop and measure those behaviors, I, I think is probably my recommendation. But I would say uh, stepping back, looking at what the organization has, the definitions that it already has should be the starting point. Fair enough. Thank you for that input. And Supinder, it is over to you for the next set of questions, please. Thank you. And Sumedha is back. Welcome back, Sumedha. We'll come to you in just a bit as soon as we have your question. In the meantime, it is over to you, Rupinder, for yourself. Thank you. Sure. Um, you know, this is a very interesting question and something which has been uh, a part of my research for some time now. I just build on what um, Samir said on how do you really identify those factors and those metrics and those measures which can form, um, you know, a, a framework to measure. So I think what Samir said is bang on. We need to have, as an organization, we need to have a common language of inclusion first before we start measuring it. So I think that's, um, that's very important and critical. Can we start with a common language for inclusion and once we can do that i you know i spoke about it early in my conversation typically if we can look at inclusion as three broad pillars which is trust in the leadership which is my hr does my executive team display inclusive behaviors now that i have defined it does my hr uh, act swiftly and competently on those I'm ensuring that everybody demonstrates those inclusive behaviors. And does my manager display those inclusive behaviors day in and day out? Uh, and of course, capturing all of this data in the form of surveys or FGDs and so on and so forth is not tough. The second important pillar is the psychological safety bit, which is do I have a sense of belonging with the company and do I feel respected with the people that I work with? And can I make decisions? Um, am I empowered to make decisions? And the last is, if there are any incidents which happen, let's say, for example, can I? am I witnessing some of those decisions, for example, harassment and so on and so forth? Have I experienced it for myself? And if I have, have I been redressed swiftly? And the last uh, is, have I overheard some of these incidents happening within the organization? If yes, to what an extent? Now, that's the broad framework that comes to my mind. Having said that, the second important thing when it comes to defining and making or evaluating and making those metrics um, tenable or you know, concrete 
there are a couple of things that we can do with regards to data on inclusion. Now, typically, you will find, as Sumedha earlier said, you know, data on diversity is easily, easily available, right? These are numbers. It can be tracked. Um, these can be displayed. But data on inclusion is much more difficult to track. So as an HR person, as a DNI head, as somebody who's a custodian of inclusion, I think the first thing that I need to do is make the inclusion data discoverable so that you know people don't really have to dig for that data. Second is that data has to be reliable, which is that it has to be trustworthy. Um, can I have a credible repetition and brand based on that data? It has to be relevant, which means it has to be demographically, team level data, organizational level data has to be robust. Yeah. So finding ways and means to capture that data which is relevant and it has to be comprehensive which basically means does it tell the whole story yeah can it can it paint the fuller picture which is where you know the whole idea of really embedding some of those research elements within all the dni initiatives that organizations are taking could be one way forward so i think i'll just hold my thoughts here uh, for this one Preeti, and i'll Go back to you for the next question that you have for Sumitha. Thank you for that. And I do have a, one second. There is some sort of a feedback. So there we are. Thank you. I do have questions. And my next set of questions, first one is essentially for Sumitha, for you, please. And, um, you know, this one, I think, is one of the uh, very important ones that we maybe don't think about very often. And that being, what is the role of intersectionality in measuring inclusion? And if you think it is important, why do you think it's important? And how is it important? Sumedha, uh, Aarti would like to know that from you. I've had that question coming into me in my private chat. Off to you. Thank you. I think. Uh, um, that is really really important intersectionality because uh, then we are not looking at uh, a group uh, you know as a silo we are looking at how uh, different groups uh, interact uh, intersect and what is the impact how do we measure it and what does that really mean we are not limiting uh, our uh, you know uh, study or or the uh, the metrics only to one a siloed group uh, see anything to do with some in my experience if you talk about measuring and rupinda was talking about you know a common language uh, if if you talk about measuring uh, and measuring and making inclusion possible goes hand in hand now if i were to look at some of the tools that are present in the market for text uh, for recruiting you have tools these days that can help your uh, jds uh, you know be less biased you can you have tools that can help you in blind cvs so that the recruitment is uh, less biased again uh, now looking and then you have lots of tools that help you in analyzing the culture something like a trust or a humanized some of them could even be uh, maybe uncomfortable something like a humanized a batch that you wear but anonymously it, it goes back and tells the organization in terms of what are the conversations uh, that are happening and what is it the people uh, are uh, really talking about 
so the inputs from this would uh, help the organization look at this bigger data but analyzing it is the key and intersectionality is is i would say the most important thing when you are looking at how does the entire pie uh, what what does the pudding really look like when i'm not looking at each ingredient but i'm looking at how what is the impact of each uh, and every element and um, even something like an organizational network analysis can help in a big way to measure intersectionality to understand what are the finer nuances uh, and see what are the formal and informal networks really talking where are these power clusters sitting how are these i mean who are re really getting included and do we have smaller clusters of people which are non inclusive if and then further studying what is the dynamics of each of each of these clusters so absolutely i think uh, that is the right approach going forward back to you priti thank you very much for that sumedha and with that i have the last question for sameer before rupinder can sum up the conversation of today so i know sameer you touched the topic a little bit while you were talking on the topic initially but in bullet points and uh, you know in a few tangible takeaways could you please help us understand the process to make workplaces more inclusive that you did touch upon because you said it is extremely important to make the workplaces inclusive first before we can actually go and measure them so it's over to you please help us understand that thank you i think i've given a lot of feeling feeling kind of answers this is a good process question uh, and i think it's good that i can end up with a process kind of an answer uh, i think it's important uh, it might sound like a lot of consulting speak but it's important to understand where we are going to start off with Uh, so have a clear picture with the leadership team with your board uh, you know whoever your governing council is of depending on the size of the organization uh, where do we want to go what do we want to be how do we want to be and discuss that in as much detail as possible uh, you know take a sign up on that make sure that leaders understand and own it clearly uh, and thereafter the next steps are of course running a, a culture strategy kind of uh, a workshop or a you know seminar or whatever you may call it uh, depending on the number of people to then start you know in a sense dialoguing around it co-creating it building it uh, and then comes the third step of figuring out uh, how and where it sits within your values or competency frameworks etc uh, and somewhere over there all along you need to be constantly thinking starting with the end in mind like they say how would i evaluate this if it happens is there customer metric is there employee metric is there you know are there anonymous surveys uh, is it my regular employee engagement survey so from an evaluation methodology i should be wearing the evaluation hat first as these conversations are happening uh, and somewhere i should have a clear line of sight on if this were to happen great stuff i heard today if this were to happen how would i measure it and and while you are having those discussions you should be able to stress test the measurement with 
whether it's the CEO's office or the board or whoever it is. So stress testing, that idea of evaluation is important because it could make them nervous. It could excite them. Uh, it could you know, tell them how much work it involves. Uh, but that honesty at that point in time is important. So that's what I would say. We're running out of time. So I'll, I'll just uh, you know, stop there. Thank you helps. so much. Absolutely. And I'm sure as a platform, LinkedIn is very useful for diving further deeper into any of these conversations that we have had today. So thank you, both of you, for the live question and answer section, which brings me to the next section, which is the summing up before we actually close this conversation for today. So for that, passing on the mic once again to my dear friend Rupinder, the floor is all yours. Help us sum up the entire 60 minutes there now, please. Thank you, Preeti. And, um, you know, I want to start by saying uh, that it, it would not be right on my part to say that if I can sum up the entire um, wisdom of so many, so many years of experience and, you know, in the last 16 minutes of what the, both the panelists have tried to work it around in five minutes, but I'll still take a shot uh, for the audience to, you know, take some concrete takeaways. So I think the first and fundamental thought that all of us align with is that before we start measuring inclusion, um, it is important and imperative to understand, as Smitha rightly said, you know, the difference between diversity and inclusion. Um, and as Sami brought out, how do we define a, a common language for inclusion in a workplace? Because inclusion could mean different things to different people while we can arrive at a certain fundamental list or um, you know, a certain exhaustive repository of terms that can be used to define, but it can vary from one organization to another. So, so that's the uh, fundamental starting point before we start measuring inclusion, defining inclusion, understanding the importance of inclusion, and how inclusion is actually the underpinning factor for um, you know, not only the productivity efficiency of the organization, but also building an innovative culture in the firm. So that's the first and the foremost learning I think that all of us can take back from their experience and expertise. Uh, when it comes to uh, putting a framework of measuring inclusion, I think Sumedha brought out some very beautiful points where uh, she spoke about three, uh, you know, fundamental pieces of inclusion. She talked about personal, which is within the people of uh, how do I feel included, which is being listened, respected, belonging and safety. Then she also spoke about the second dimension, which is in between people, if I remember correctly. And she said it's more relationship oriented, which is within the team, colleagues, my immediate manager and so on and so forth. And finally, the organization, right? Workplace and organization, which largely talks about processes, policies, decision makings, opportunities, whether it is, you know, growth opportunities, development opportunities, and so on. So that kind of fills the entire canvas of, of being inclusive as a workplace. And if we can put some metrics around each of these domains, I think that itself could be a starting point for people to start measuring their uh, organizations from an inclusive standpoint. So that was brilliantly done. 
while uh, I, I kind of in a, uh, you know sum up uh, Sumedha's thoughts here, I also do want to appreciate and bring it to fold the whole uh, you know the systemic aspect of inclusion and where it really starts, which Samir of course brought out beautifully. What we do is essentially who we are, right? At the end of the day, so it may make sense for us to take a step back and see. Uh, our daily practices and behaviors are largely driven by the core values and belief systems that we embody as we grow up, whether it's through parents, peers, uh, you know, friends, and so on and so forth. So do I have the ability and the courage, moral courage, to step back and challenge my own mental models to say this belief system is really not serving me anymore and can I let go of it to become a more progressive individual, a more progressive worker and, and, and a more inclusive worker in that sense. So thank you for bringing that out, Samir. I think that was very beautifully done. Um, I'm not going to recount the process bit of it because that's for people to really kind of derive it for their own organization. But I do want to call out something which Sumedha said, which is, uh, you know, the role of uh, digital tools and analytics in terms of capturing those numbers. And, you know, the, the power of organizational network analysis, I think that itself actually could be a huge potent source and may call for a complete separate conversation on how that can be utilized to measure inclusion. So, but I'm just going to leave uh, this thought on the table for people who want to start experimenting with something. And I also want to, you know, maybe it's time. It's time uh, for all of us as, um, as champions of inclusion, as people who believe in it um, inside out, um, to go back to the fundamental aspect of we started this conversation by saying, you know, what gets measured gets done. So why not toy with the idea of creating an inclusion dashboard like all the other KPIs and dashboards that we create for measuring productivity, efficiency, and so on and so forth for the firm. So if inclusion is so imperative to not only building um, a great company in terms of efficiency, productivity, and innovative index, but also from a culture standpoint, then probably it's time for us to create that one. So I think that's broadly what I leave with Preeti. Uh, hopefully it adds to people over here. Thank you. And you're right. You know, the summary of the last 60 minutes is not possible. I think it calls for people to come and be a part of the solution and the conversation that that is what is going to make the difference ultimately. So with that, you have been watching Diversity Dialogues with Preeti Chaudhary, Dr. Rupendra Kaur. Our esteemed guest panelist friends today were Sumedha Bakshi and Sameer Nakra. Both and the rest of us, the other two of us, are also available on LinkedIn to get connected to, get the conversation started. This dialogue was powered by StreamYard with Rupendra, Sumedha, Sameer. This is Preeti Chaudhary saying Namaste and Jai Hind. Until next time, stay safe, stay indoors, stay inclusive. Thank you.